we're going to do three stories from the Gospel of John over these three sessions. And today we're going to be in John chapter 2. And um, it's a story about Jesus turning water into wine. Uh, but I think fundamentally for us, it's a story about running out and being empty and then Jesus being there and making a miraculous solution. And um, I mean, I think that's, that's just wonderful, right? Because we come to a weekend like this, we stop and you realize humans run out of stuff. You know, these guys ran out of wine. We run out of patience. <laughs> we run out of money. We run out of energy. We run out of ideas, creativity, imagination. We just run out of stuff, right? That's, that's fundamentally being human is running out of stuff. And um, Jesus is just wonderful in taking our water and turning it into wine. He takes our weakness and turns it into strength. He takes our lack and turns it into plenty. He doesn't even just turn dirty water into like clean water. It's a fundamental change. Water into like that chemical makeup is completely different. You know, it's absolutely transformative and miraculous. And that's what we're going to see in the belly of this story. Is It's a story about us running out of stuff. And it's a story about Jesus doing something amazing, even with people like us. Amen? Amen. Um, so let's, we're just going to read a few verses and then just do the story like that. So John 2 and verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And, you know, so you've got a wedding, you've got people, and then you've got, oh, and Jesus also. <laughs> you know, oh, he can come too. And uh, that's, it's amazing. Isn't it? Even in a space like this, even a weekend like this, we're here, you're here, Amelia's here, Scott's here. Jesus also is invited, right? Then when the wine ran out, which just has an inevitability to it, because that's what happens. The mother of Jesus said to him, they've got no more wine. So a wedding uh, in that context, really big deal. They'd go on for a week. So people would be there for a week. Uh, Cana in Galilee. I've been there and I've bought the wine from there. And I wanted to bring some, but I drank it all. Um, I ran out. Um, but it's the wine-growing region of Israel. And um, what they would do at a wedding like this that would go on for a week is it's the chance to show off this year's vintage, right? And you invite all the other villages and you show them, look, this is our, this is our village's hospitality. And, you know, and everyone's going to talk about it. And then next year, the wedding's going to be somewhere else, and it's their turn to show off. So it's, it's a massive chance for the honor of the whole village. And if it goes wrong, it's a massive chance for the shame of the whole village. And everyone will talk for years. Do you remember that guy's wedding where they ran out of wine? Like, oof. And that's, it's a really big deal. It's not just, oh, it's a little unfortunate. It's like... The honor of your village is going to impact who you can do business with, who you can marry your daughters off to in the future. You're standing for generations. So potentially this guy, 
not showing up with the wine is a massive problem. And the bridegroom only had one job, right? You only had one job. He only had one job. And his job is to provide the wine. And this guy couldn't even do that properly. He's a, st he's a stingy guy. Yeah, why does he not have enough wine? Because he's a stingy, he's not, he's not generous. He hasn't bought enough wine. He's, in Turkish, they've got a saying, they say his, um, his pocket has a scorpion in it. <laughs> you know, so he doesn't want to put his hand in there. But there's a, what do they say in English? Like deep pockets, short hands. Yeah, yeah you know. But he's, so once I was preaching this in a church in North London, and I was like, who is the stingy guy? He's here. And this guy stands up at the back and he goes, it's me. <laughs> I was like, I'm not coming to your house. But in the Bible, generosity, hospitality, it's a really big deal. It's a, in the Bible, it's, it's an index of godliness, actually. There's a, there's a sacredness to hospitality. You see that in people like Abraham, don't you? He's celebrated for his hospitality towards the visitors. And it's because it's an act of faith because it shows that we trust God's abundance, you know, so generosity actually comes from our faith that God is going to provide, you know, so I, I turn up at your tent and you give me an extra burger, that's, uh, this isn't a sermon fishing for food by the way, but if, if that's one of the applications then, but uh, it's, it's, it's an act of faith, we trust that God will provide, we trust that there will be enough for everybody. So hospitality shows faith in God who is abundant. Um, and God is the host. He, he is the host of the universe. He's provided this bountiful abundance that we see all around us in our planet. And uh, our life is like living under his hospitality. And so whenever we host, we are representing God. So there is a, there's a divine sacred specialness to hospitality and generosity all the way through the Bible. And, and at the same token, stinginess is always seen as something that comes from sin. So for example, there's this proverb, I really like it, Proverbs 23.6, do not eat the bread of a stingy man. Do not desire his delicacies, it will make you sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first moved to England, uh, someone invited me for Sunday lunch and I was really excited. It's the first time I'm going to go to an English person's house. And they phoned me Thursday and said, just so we know, we're preparing. How many potatoes will you eat on Sunday? And I was like, I don't know how hungry I'm going to be on Sunday. I said, 12. <laughs> um, I was a student. I just used to eat every Sunday. That was it. I just... But, um, but that, whole, that whole lunchtime, I felt a little uncomfortable. Because I was like, am I eating too many potatoes? Do you see what I mean? And so, there, there is something in this story. It's, the context is hospitality, generosity. We don't feel sorry for this guy for running out of wine. He's a stingy guy. And it's come from a lack of faith in God, a lack of trust in God, a lack of generosity. Um, and that's, that's in the story, right? Now... Fascinatingly, one of the reasons we're told in the Bible to be hospitable is because Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This guy isn't just entertaining an angel unawares, he's entertaining God himself in Jesus Christ unawares. 
So that's why we're hospitable, because you never know when Jesus might turn up. Right? Verse 4. So the mum says to him, they've run out of wine. It's like she's looking at him like, you're supposed to be the miracle kid. Like, do something here, right? And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. (laughs) There's a few things there. Why are you calling your mum woman? Well, actually, you know, some people are like, is he just being really disrespectful? We're going to see in these stories over the next few days that this is a word that Jesus uses lots of times in the Gospel of John. And we'll look at it tomorrow as to what he's saying there. So just park that one. Um, But she says they haven't got enough wine. And he says, my hour has not yet come. Now in John, whenever he talks about my hour, he's talking about the cross. You know, the hour will come for me to die on the cross. So she says they haven't got any wine. And he says, it's not time for me to die yet. (laughs) And she's probably going, did you not hear me over the table? You know, is everyone a bit rowdy? Like, I said they haven't got any wine, and you're saying that the time hasn't come for me to die yet. What is the connection? Well, we're going to see there's a massive connection between the blood of Jesus and the wine of the kingdom. And um, at at a wedding, one of the things that happens, and Jesus is doing it here, is you end up thinking about your own wedding. So if you're married and you go to a wedding... You sit there and go, oh, I remember, you know, or our wedding was so much better than this one or whatever. And if you're not married, but you want to be married, you go to a wedding and you go, oh, one day my prince will come. (laughs) And, you know, one day, one day I'll have a dress and I'll look much more beautiful than her or whatever it is. So at weddings, you tend to zoom in on your own story. It's one of the things that happens at weddings. Um... And Jesus is doing exactly that. So Jesus, who is talked about as the bridegroom, who's come to find a bride, and one day there will be a wedding between Jesus and his bridegroom, the church. One day at the end of time, there will be the great wedding, and he will be the bridegroom, and he will definitely not run out of wine. He will be the best host and the best bridegroom ever. Jesus is thinking about his own wedding day. So he's there going, yeah, my hour hasn't come yet, but when it does, I'm going to be much better than this stingy guy. And that's what he's thinking. But his mum knows that he is actually going to do something because Jesus can't look at a a problem and not move towards it. He can't look at lack and not fill it. He can't look at weakness and not bring his strength. And so his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In other words, we know Jesus is going to do something. Now, that's actually a wonderful, wonderful summary of being a Christian. What do I have to do? I'm a Christian. Just do whatever he tells you, right? Do whatever he tells you. It's it's actually a very simple thing. And if we need wine and he tells you to fill up a water pot with water, don't be confused. Just do whatever he tells you. He'll figure it out, right? And so... Verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each one holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. So these are big stone water jars like this. And there are six of them there, and they're there for the Jewish rites of 
purification, for the ritual washings, which you need to have, particularly at a thing like a wedding. And the reason they're stone is because in a clay water jar, the water can kind of, it, 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 it's assumed to take on the properties of the clay, and so it's actually not clean for ritual washing. But stone water jars, you don't have that. So you use these for ritual washing. And this, this really mattered to the Jews. Uh, there's a famous kind of story of a rabbi who gets thrown in prison by the Romans, and they give him a little bit of water every day to drink. And instead of drinking it, he uses it for ritual washing because that's so important to him. And he ends up dying because he hasn't been drinking water. And so it's a really big deal for these guys to do ritual washing. And it's part of every religion. So Muslims wash before they pray five times a day. Um, Hindus, every year 120 million Hindus go to the Ganges River for a, a kind of a sacred swim in a not very clean river. Um, every religion has some form of washing on the outside to try and correlate that somehow with a spiritual cleanness. And this, this moment is no exception. Now, there's six of these stone water jars. And um, you're going to notice John, he loves sixes and he loves sevens, right? He, six is mankind's number. Okay, so seven, as you're aware, is the, the perfect number, the number of perfection. God made the world in seven days. The temple is set, built in seven years. Seven is the number of completeness and holiness and perfectness. Six is our number, right? Not quite seven. Not quite good enough. Never quite getting too holy. Never quite getting to the day of rest. Uh, always working and never quite arriving. That's, that's our number, right? Always striving and never quite attaining. Uh, we were made on the sixth day of the week, which is Friday, which is today, which is why we love Fridays, because they're our day, because six is our number, right? You think I'm joking? That's like proper Bible stuff you're learning there, right? I've got a master's degree in theology. I'm telling you, this stuff matters. <laughs> now, the reason that there's six of these stone water jars is there's something about the Jewish rites of purification, and they're filled up to the brim, and there's six of them because the old covenant represented by external washings and religion and effort and working hard and not quite arriving, the old covenant has been filled up to the brim. The Old Testament time has come right to its end, and Jesus is going to now do something radical and transform it into the new covenant. We're, we're, Jesus is doing a sign here. This, this miracle, it's not just called a miracle, it's called the first sign. It's pointing to something, like all the signs in John. And it's pointing to the fact that now, day seven has come. Now Jesus has arrived. Now he's among us. He made the world in six days. On the seventh day, God entered the world to be with the people that he'd made. And in the same way, the old covenant has kind of been filled up to the brim. And now Jesus has come to turn the water of the old covenant into the wine of the new covenant. Okay? And so 
it's a, it's a big sign. It's a big moment. And wine was always a sign of Messiah. All the way through the Old Testament, the prophets are going, when Messiah comes, we will drink wine together in the kingdom of God. You have prophets like Isaiah saying, I see this great feast and all the nations are coming and Messiah is there and we're drinking wine together. And one of the reasons for that is because, partly because wine is really nice to drink with friends as a sense of arriving and joy, but, but partly because wine, it, like grapes, vines, take years to establish. And so you only really get wine in times of peace. It's a sign that kind of war and turmoil and chaos is over. We've had time to settle in the land, to plant our grapes. They've had years to produce their fruit, and now we've got wine. So it's a sign of like peace and arriving and settledness, which is what Messiah brings. And now Jesus is here. That's what he's brought. And so now we come to this moment of the miracle. They said, do whatever he tells you. Jesus said, fill some stone water jars with water. And they're thinking, that's all very well, but the problem isn't water. The problem's wine. And now we come to the moment. Verse 8. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. So Sean must be the master of the feast, right? So they, they draw some out. So they filled this up with water. They draw some out. They're thinking, this is dumb, right? They take it to the master of the feast. He drinks it and goes, I'm getting a little bit of cherry. <laughs> like, it's, it's extraordinary. I don't know when the change happens. But they, risk, they do what they're told. They draw the water out. They give it to the master of the feast. And it tastes like wine. And I'll tell you, whatever Jesus is asking you to do, you know, David, when he was praying earlier, he, he mentioned, like, let dead gifts come to life again. I really believe that for this weekend. There are some of you, you've got gifts that you've not used for years, and God's going to bring them to life again. Um, some of you, in terms of just hearing from God, hearing his voice, you might go, it's been a long time since I've heard the voice of God, but you brought your notebook this weekend and your little pencil, right? And, and, and some of that is a bit like this moment here. I tell you, every time I, I get up to preach, every time I pray for the sick, every time I, uh, I go for a deliverance, every time I move towards something that needs doing, I feel like this. I'm like, man, all I've got is a big jug full of water. But I'm trusting God that as I do this, it's going to turn into wine and it's going to satisfy people. And that there is, there's something that happens in that act of faith, in that moment of stepping out. And so now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. I love just the, the obedience in this story. And these are the nameless servants. You know, the, the obedient people in the Gospel of John are the ones whose names we never know. And so then when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone who serves the good wine first and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the 
the best wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and the disciples believed in him. Okay? So, as wine is superior to water, so the new covenant is superior to the old. And as drinking is so much better for you than washing, so the gospel of grace is so much better for you than the the covenant of law in the Old Testament, right? This is one of the things that's happening here. You've got this, this heaven and earth difference between the old covenant of law and the new covenant under grace. It's not that in the Old Testament we had a whole load of laws, but now we're Christians. We don't have those laws anymore, but instead we have Christian laws, Christian rules. No, 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 no. It's a totally different. It's not just one kind of water and now another kind of water. Okay, it's not just dirty water and now clean water. It's water and then it's something that comes from grapes. It's completely different. The, the, the grace that we're under is completely different. Drinking is so much better than washing, right? People look on the external. Sometimes we try and look like a Christian. You know, you come to a place like this, you're trying desperately not to shout at each other and like take a hammer to each other while you're trying to put your tent up, right? Dan couldn't find his hammer earlier. We want to know who's stolen it and whether you're using it for violent things. But, you know, you're trying so desperately to kind of wash your outside and look Christian. You know, you post on your social media pictures of cats with Bible verses or whatever. Like, I just need to look Christian, right? It's, it's this external washing, putting on your behaviors, putting on. And Jesus has gone, no, 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 no. People look on the outside. God looks on the heart. It's not about washing, it's about drinking. And this weekend especially, that's really what we want. We want you to come and drink. You know, we just started worshipping and the Holy Spirit's here going, come on then. Like the water hole is here. Lions drink at water holes and so do butterflies. Like, it, I don't, it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a butterfly, you need to drink. Okay? And so we come and we drink. And that's what Jesus has come to give us. So what do we learn from this story? The generosity of God is greater than the lack of man. The generosity of God is greater than the lack of man. Whatever we run out of, we run out. We're number six. We're always going to run out. We're never going to make it to seven. We're never going to have enough. But Jesus is abundant. He's the host. He's got everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all of this grass. He's got everything. And we run out, but he never runs out. And whatever your lack is, whatever you've come here this weekend lacking, you know, maybe you've just run out of desire. Maybe you've run out of passion. Maybe you've run out of interesting conversation. Seriously, maybe you've run out of ideas. You've run into a cul-de-sac. You've run out of faith. You've run out of money. Jesus does not run out. He is the perfect bridegroom. He's just sitting there going, in my wedding, there'll be enough for everyone. And I'm bringing my kingdom now. There's enough for everyone. There's enough for everyone. Not just enough for this side, there's even enough for that side, yeah? So the generosity of God is greater than the lack of man. Secondly, the wine of the new covenant is superior to the water 
of the old covenant. And, and we, we are talking about a paradigmatic difference. Yeah, when we came to Jesus, we had our dirty water. Yeah, our sin, our mess. He didn't just forgive us and change our dirty water into Evian bottled spring water, right? He didn't just change our dirty water into clean water. He, he, he turned our water into wine. It's, it's utterly different. To be born again is completely different to what you were before. You know, I got born again on my knees in my room when I was 17. When I got up from my knees, my face was the same. My name was the same. I walked out and everyone's like, all right, Andy. They didn't know. But inside, I'm a completely different thing. I'm a completely different thing. To get born again is to be utterly transformed. You're not water anymore. You're wine. Does that make sense? It's, it's a completely, it's like a chemical change that happens inside you. But it's more than that. It's a spiritual change that happens inside you. And so the new covenant is not like the old covenant. You don't read your Old Testament and go, oh yeah, well, they had rules and now we're Christians and we have different kinds of rules, but they're just a bit different. It's completely different. We're not under law, we're under grace. It's, it's transformative, right? It's not about washing, it's about drinking. Thirdly, Christianity, really, the things that Jesus cares about, it's the internal, not the external. It's the internal. It's, it's his work inside you when you drink. It's the internal work in your heart. And that's what he wants to do this weekend. This weekend is about our spirits. It is about our hearts. It is about drinking. It is about taking time to get truth inside us. To get it inside us. Number four, we take the credit for what Jesus has done. So you've got this moment where the, the, um, the guy is called to the master of ceremonies. Okay, he's summoned. Scott, let me just summon you, please. Did you ever get summoned to the headmaster's office? No, of course not. Yep. <laughs> I bet you did. That's why I picked you, right? So he's summoned. And he thinks, oh no, I've been found out. I'm the stingy guy. I ran out. My secret sin has become public shame. I've been found out. I'm going to get my wrist slapped. I'm going to get scolded. How are you feeling right now? It's not good. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the guy is like, Scott, I need to talk to you. You're the man. It's amazing. (laughs) Everybody else serves the good wine first. But you've saved the best wine till last. I thought so. We're gonna be, we're gonna be remembered yeah. forever by all the other villages as the best village. And it's all down to you. I'm gonna give you a special chair in my village tent. <laughs> and 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 what it doesn't tell us here is it doesn't tell us whether he goes, actually, no, it wasn't me, it was Jesus, or whether he takes the credit for what Jesus has done. But you know, for all of us, one day we're going to get called into God's office. And we genuinely are probably going to come in thinking we've been summoned by the headmaster. And you know, like, oh my goodness, 
everything that I've lacked, everything that I've done, all my stinginess, all my nastiness, you know, summoned in. And we're going to come in like this. And then he's going to go, your wine was amazing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Absolutely stunning wine. And we're going to go, man, I don't deserve that. Yeah? But we take the credit for what Jesus has done. We take the credit for what Jesus... He turns our water into wine. And, and instead of condemnation, we get congratulation. Instead of rebuke, we get reward. It's incredible. It's the grace of God. You can sit down, young man. And then, finally... Yeah, well done, Scott. Just excellent acting. Um, finally... Almost, almost finally. Um, one of the things we see that's happening here is Jesus is making his word flesh. So we see right at the beginning of John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we see God doesn't just talk. It's not just words. But God makes his word flesh in Jesus. And all the way through John, we're going to have Jesus making these big claims but also turning them into real concrete things in people's lives. Yeah, so Jesus is going to say, I'm the light of the world, which is a big claim, but then he actually heals a blind person. So it becomes light into that individual. He says, I'm the bread of life, but then he actually feeds 5,000 hungry people in a desert, miraculously. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone could say that, but then he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. So he makes his word flesh in real people's lives. He, he, make, he makes the conceptual concrete. He makes the universal specific for these. And here, Jesus will say in John, I am the true vine. But here, he's actually giving people wine to drink. And the question for us is, you know, in what way at the moment do you need God to make his word flesh in your life? You know, you've always said you're the provider, but man, I need to see you provide. You've always said you're the healer, but I need to see this healing. You know, in what way do you need him to make his word flesh for you? Jesus does that. He does it over and over again, and he does it here. And finally, we said there's a connection in Jesus' mind between the cross and the provision of wine. Between the blood of Jesus and the provision of wine. Jesus will say just before he dies, this wine is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Drink it. And so there's something about the sacrifice of Jesus that needs internalizing into us. But if Jesus is the true vine, if he's the grapes, how do you get wine out of grapes? Well, they put them in a big vat and then they trample on them with their shoes off. They tread the grapes, and from the squashing of the grapes, from the crushing of the grapes, from the pulping of the grapes, comes the wine. And in the same way, Jesus takes the, the wrath of God, the trampling of God, the crushing of God, in order that his blood might flow out to us, and we drink his sweet, sweet wine. The... the the sweet, perfect grapes, which is Jesus, the true vine, with no bitterness in it, no nastiness in it, no rottenness in it, pure, sweet, perfect. And then the crushing by the wrath of God on the cross 
on our behalf. And then the flowing of this sweet and perfect wine, which we drink, which we drink, sweet and holy and perfect that flows to us from the crushing of Jesus. And so we've looked at this story. We've looked at a few things from this story. Let's just stand together and we're going to pray. I know some of you are just thinking about going back to your tent and opening a bottle of wine now, right? (laughs) Just focus a little longer. Lord, we thank you so much for this dear church family and this great weekend. Just lift your hands to the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that we were invited, but you also are invited. We thank you that you're here with us. Lord, we bring you our lack, knowing that you will fill it. Lord, we we know we're number six, and we never make it to seven, and we're never good enough, and we're never patient enough, and we're never strong enough, and we're never resilient enough. We know that, Lord, but I thank you that with you comes seven, comes holiness, comes fullness, comes perfectness, comes the dwelling of God. Lord, we, we bring you our water, however dirty. We bring you the dirtiness that's in our souls right now. We pour out our hearts like water before the Lord, and we trust you to turn it into something extraordinary, to turn it into wine, to bless other people. Lord, we pray for moments this weekend of sitting around together as family and knowing that Messiah is with us, knowing that peace and that joy and that sense that we are here with you. Lord, we pray for lots of opportunities this weekend to drink, 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 to get your truth deep inside us. And Jesus, we thank you that you make your word flesh. We're praying you make your word flesh in our lives. We're praying. We're praying for it, God. Not just concepts, not just ideas, but real, personal, specific for each one of us. We, we crave that so much. And Lord, we thank you that you were crushed and pulped under the wrath of God, that your blood might flow to us. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. And right now, again, we drink and drink and drink of the goodness of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Be with your people. In Jesus' name, amen.